Give the secret handshake. Check your cloaks. And remove your tinfoil hats. This is the Illuminati Social Club. The podcast you don't want they to know about. This is bullshit. This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanation, but not necessarily the only ones to the mysteries we will examine. Welcome to the In Search of series here on the Illuminati Social Club. I'm your host, Jason from Parma. Joining me from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, Mr. Oliver Oxide. Hello, all. How are you? Excellent. How about yourself? I'm fine, thank you. I'm floating over the skies as we speak. <laughs> filled, filled with gas. <laughs> yes, filled with hot air as I usually am. <laughs> And from Halifax, Nova Scotia, a man who's equally filled with hot air, Doc Pinko, Steve Cloutier. Oh, well, I may be burning and falling to the ground. Who knows? <laughs> yes, but it's educated hot yes. air. Educated hot air. Yes. Uh, we are talking about Season 5, Episode 21. Yes, we're coming down to the end of this season. The Hindenburg Mystery. Uh, initial thoughts on this one from me. Oh, the humanity in search of is talking about the Hindenburg. Uh, so, Oliver, what were your impressions of this episode? Uh, giving it a seven. Uh, I enjoyed it. Found out some new things. Learned some stuff. Um, I never knew there was a mystery involved with it, but um, trust in search of to make one. <laughs> you know what? I, I I honestly think you hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> right. That th- This was an episode of... In search of making a mystery where there is none. Yeah, I, I'd never heard this conspiracy theory before. No. Uh, Steve? Well, um, they didn't really go into the to the mystery. No, they really didn't. They didn't. I mean, because the, the, the idea of, um, spoiler, uh, the possible sabotage of the Hindenburg has been around since the beginning, mm-hmm. since since the Hindenburg crashed. Mm-hmm. Um, Max, Max Proust, the, the captain of the Hindenburg always believed that it was, uh, sabotage. I'm going to say, of course he did. Um, yeah, but what I mean, but I mean is, is, is the theory has been around for a long time. It, right. They just didn't go into it. Right. Uh, so shall we, shall we get the, shall we get, uh, Leonard's input? <laughs> Lakehurst, New Jersey, 725 in the evening, May 6th, 1937. Delayed by storms, the airship Hindenburg was finally preparing to land. Passengers peered down looking for familiar faces as the ship turned for the final descent. Water ballast was released to bring her into trim. Engines were reversed from idle ahead to idle astern. Winchman paid out handling lines to the ground crew. Tragedy is seconds away. The mystery is, was it an accident or sabotage? So, my, my, first, uh, my first note after this clip was simply... When one fills a giant balloon with hydrogen, it stands a greater <laughs> chance of going boom. <clears throat> I mean, 
Yeah. <laughs> now, I I didn't know one of the well, I didn't we'll get into it later, but I did not know one of the uh, you know, one of the reasons why it was filled with hydrogen until this episode, believe it or not. So Yeah, I didn't I didn't know either, Jason. No. Well, that's that's the Americans' fault? Mhm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for spoiling I didn't say that. why. I didn't say why. Okay. That's a foreshadow. In um, English, we call that a foreshadow. I, you know, and honestly, I always thought it was uh, unanimously accepted as an accident. I mean, considering it was filled with hydrogen. And, you know, obviously there's metal parts on it. And, you know, if something metal let's go and hits another piece of metal it could create a spark and you know boom um so let's see um yeah lakehurst new jersey is where it took place and uh it was the it was at the time the city of the future uh thanks to the <laughs> airship business <laughs> that that is uh in search of's wording not mine <laughs> there's also one thing they left out what's that i don't know i don't know if you want to get into that not get into this now but there's a reason why the germans went with dirigibles uh because after the first world war they were by the treaty of versailles they were limited on by how, how much air force they could have how many actual aircraft they could have ah okay and so while they were secretly building aircraft mm-hmm. um because again hitler didn't necessarily follow the treaty um, I should, really? or I shouldn't say necessarily. Hitler didn't talk follow about, the treaty. Talk about a spoiler alert! <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like this is heading into world, uh, you know, like World War Two or something. I know, uh, <laughs> um, but so they they were limited by the treaty on on how uh, the size of their air force. Uh, oh, okay. So they, one of the ways they got they tried to get around it was by building dirigibles, mm. which they had a long history of because uh, zeppelins in the First World War had bombed London. Hmm. So it was kind of a natural way for them to go when they couldn't build aircraft. Right. Uh, So apparently Germany built a Zeppelin for the United States in 1924 as part of reparations for World War War One. Yeah, see, this was the part I didn't get. So as part of reparations, Steve, they had to... They had to make things for the Americans? Is that... that Well, they, they owed money. Oh yes, of course, um, and, and, right. and and so I suspect, although I don't know, I'd have to look this up to 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 be sure to make sure. I, I think what they did is they built things in lieu of sending cash, uh-huh. because they could they couldn't afford the money um, because of inflation and stuff like that. Uh, it would have been worthless anyway for the Americans. Right. So they yeah. were able, and they had the Zeppelin works from the First World War. So my guess is that they they traded that for more more reparations mm-hmm. okay um so that uh, that airship was called the los angeles and it was piloted to the u.s by hugo eckner who was the uh basically the designer of the of the airships um he would then go on to build graf zeppelin which was at that point the largest airship ever built. Uh, oh, and the most luxurious, which means tickets for it were probably really expensive. 
See, this is the thing about the conspiracy theory I don't get. Okay. Because wouldn't have everybody on board been American? No. Well, then, how, at that particular point, how could the German, how could a, uh, your regular German person afford this? Well, they were, they couldn't, but their your rich German person could. Yeah. Were were there any rich person, rich German people in? I'm yes, sure yes. there were. <laughs> okay. There are always I, rich people. I I'm sure there were no, rich people. Thank you, Steve. Oh, <laughs> oh Steve twists his knife there. <laughs> Well, I'm sure there. I'm sure there were people who capitalized off World War One in Germany. So, well, yeah, and don't forget, this is by this is by '37. Mm. But by that point, you know, Hit, Hitler and the Nazis had had just sort of right. ramped up all of their industrial right. um, might and stuff like that. So well, yeah, so there were there were a lot of wealthy industrialists around. Well, th- th- well this is like you know. Uh, the Los Angeles was built in uh, 24. Yes. Uh, Graf Zeppelin, I believe, was uh, 29. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, you know, Zeppelins were the first aircraft to conduct transatlantic passenger service. Um, apparently, they didn't travel super fast because uh, Eckner wanted to build a new Zeppelin that could cross the Atlantic in uh, a whopping... Two days, which would be incredibly fast for a for an airship. So, yeah. Um, next clip. By late 1934, a new dirigible was under construction. She would be the largest airship ever built, the largest object ever put into the sky. She would be called the Hindenburg. 147 feet high and one-sixth of a mile long, she was so massive that a special hangar had to be constructed to house her. The control car would be separated from the passenger accommodations, which would be contained in the underside of the hull. Seventy air travelers could be pampered by a 40-man crew as never before. The metal framework would surround 16 huge gas bags. Seven million cubic feet of lighter-than-air gas would give the Hindenburg buoyancy. Unlike other German Zeppelins, which were filled with explosive hydrogen, Hugo Eckener had designed the Hindenburg to be filled with helium, a gas so safe it would actually smother fire. The United States was the primary source of this rare natural gas and was at first willing to sell it to the Zeppelin company. However, (laughs) um, due to Hitler's rise to power and, uh, you know, the U.S. kind of being opposed to that idea, decided they're not going to sell the helium to, uh, to the Germans. And anyway... Filling, filling the uh, the the Hindenburg with helium. That would have been insane. I mean, the the problem is hydrogen is plentiful and easily gotten. Uh, helium is another story. Helium, you know, uh, it. 
it dissipates out of the atmosphere real quick. <laughs> um, that's why uh, if you go, little little aside here, uh, if you go to uh, like party stores in the midst of a, uh, a helium shortage, there's going to be signs that, uh, yeah, we can't do helium balloons. Because, and at this point, so in 19, you know, the 1930s, didn't have to worry about it too much. But uh, these days, we have MRIs, which need liquid helium to cool the magnets. So I think we've had this conversation before in a previous episode. Could be. Um, Did I tell you that my wife bitterly, my wife bitterly complained about that during our, our wedding? No. Because she wanted helium balloons for our wedding, but she couldn't get any helium. Right. Because damn people needed uh, MRIs or something. Yes. Yeah. That's the way she put it, but a lot more swearing. <laughs> uh, so this thing had uh, 16 gas bags. Um, let's see. You, Oliver, me. Uh, we need 13 more, and we can make a Hindenburg. Um, yeah, uh Oh yeah, the way the way uh, in search of put it, and I, I I just I left it out because that clip was going to get way too long. Uh, the U.S. would would have sold helium for the Hindenburg to the company, but Hitler's rise to power, and I quote, complicated the negotiations. <laughs> Can't imagine why. Um, yeah, it it was really big. It was a huge ship. Uh. And I think, is it still the largest object ever put into space or into, into the, I'm sorry, ever constructed and flown? Um, I, would, I would think I space think so. shuttle would have No, would no, no, no. Space shuttle was yeah. small. I was it? I, uh, the, Hinden, the Hindenburg was bigger than the Saturn V. Yeah, it was big. The the Hindenburg was longer than the Saturn V was tall, so that that's huge. Um. So apparently, Eckner was uh, a Nazi in name only. Really, uh, he disagreed with pretty much Hitler and the Third Reich and you know everything they stood for. But you know, he needed a job, I guess. Uh, and he hated uh, that his, you know, his zeppelins were being used for propaganda. Yeah, well, he eventually got sidelined anyway. Uh, oh yeah, so, they go into know. that. Yeah, uh, yeah. His name was stricken from German media. Uh, in other words, at that point, he was an unperson. Uh, and then the German government had nationalized the Zeppelin company, as they did. Um, so apparently the German embassy in Washington received threats against the Hindenburg that it would be destroyed in Lakehurst, New Jersey. So this is like the first piece of the mystery puzzle, but you know, people are going to be pissed off and, you know, make threats and stuff. And at that point, they didn't, you know, it was really hard to trace phone calls, I guess. Um, 
Let's see. We got a we got a timeline of the Hindenburg's jersey journey across the Atlantic. Um, and then we get the famous clip of the disaster, which uh, I do have the audio for. So shall we listen? Yes. Radio commentator Herb Morrison recorded her arrival for the first transcontinental broadcast. Well, here it comes, ladies and gentlemen, and what a great sight it is. A thrilling one. The ship is riding majestically toward us like some great feather. It's a marvelous... Newsreel cameras word as water ballast was released to bring the ship into trim. The ship is no doubt busting with activity, as we can see. Orders are shouted to the crew. The passengers probably lining the windows looking down the field ahead of them, getting their glimpse of the mooring mast. It's practically standing still now. They've dropped ropes out of the nose of the ship. It's been taken a hold of down on the field by a number of men. It's starting to rain again. The rain had uh, flagged up a little bit. The back motors of the ship are just holding it uh, just enough to keep it from... It burst into flames. Get this Johnny. Get this Johnny. It's right. It's right. It's right. It's terrible. Oh, my. Get out of the way, please. It's running, rushing into flames, and it's falling on the morning fast, and all the folks between us. This is terrible. This is one of the worst catastrophes in the world. Oh, it's... Four or five hundred feet into the sky, and it's a terrific crash, ladies and gentlemen. The smoke and the flames now, and the flame is crashing to the ground, not quite to the boring past. All the humanity and all the passengers speeding around I told them, I can't even talk to people. The friends are on there. It's a, it's a, oh. I, I can't talk, ladies and gentlemen. On it, it's just laying down fast with smoking wreckage. And everybody can't hardly breathe and talk and screaming. Lady, I, I'm sorry. Honestly, I, I can hardly breathe. I, I'm going to step inside while I cannot see it. Darling, that's terrible. I, I can I let folks, I, I'm going to have to stop for a minute because I've lost the voice. This is the worst thing I've ever witnessed. So, I mean, that. That's the whole clip. On uh, most most people know, you know, the oh the humanity line, and you know, just not. Yeah, you know, I've never heard it from the beginning. So yeah, um, right. So thirteen. Or, I'm sorry, thirty six people died. Thirteen passengers, twenty two crew, and one groundsman. One of the guys on the line. Yeah, he, apparently, um, as when it was happening, the Hindenburg actually rose up, mm. um, and he was hanging on to a rope, and so he got dragged up, Ooh. Um, and then fell to the earth. That that doesn't sound fun. No. Well, the amazing thing to me was is that sixty-two people survived that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that to me was—I never knew that. To me, that was just yeah. unbelievable when you watch it. Oh yeah! It's like how anybody survived that. <laughs> From what? What do you figure? It was about a hundred feet up. Yeah, uh, but that, probably. Yeah. So that's ten stories. That's a ten-story fall, mm-hmm. and sixty-two people survived that. Yep. It's amazing yeah. to me. Um. So yeah, uh, they they were you know they go into talking to ground crew who were uh, who were there during the disaster. I didn't get any clips of them. Um, but now we get into the conspiracy side of things. 
The 13 passengers killed in the Hindenburg crash were the only passenger fatalities in the Zeppelin company's 30-year history. The reason for the fire that consumed the great airship was obvious. The 7 million cubic feet of volatile hydrogen gas contained in the hull. The reason why the fire started has been a source of controversy to this day. Was it accident or sabotage? One man has spent a lifetime sifting the evidence. World authority on airships and author of numerous books on the subject, Dr. Douglas Robinson. I've never been satisfied that the ship was sabotaged. I don't think there's been adequate proof of a plot to do so. I believe uh, that there was an accidental ignition of leaking hydrogen. Uh, there is no doubt at all that the ship landed in a condition where there is a very high electrical potential difference right after a thunderstorm. After she dropped her landing rope, she was discharging the electricity, static electricity, into the atmosphere. The other question, of course, is there is obviously free hydrogen that was ignited by the brush discharge. Uh, how was there free hydrogen present? And there's quite a number of arguments about that, and there's certainly no agreement. Um, well, let's see. It's a big metal frame ship with uh, bags of hydrogen. If, you know, any of those little, you know, metal pieces got loose, they could have ripped the bag, one of the bags, and started freeing some hydrogen. Or just an imperfection in one of those bags slowly leaking hydrogen. Well, the static electricity argument certainly makes sense. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it doesn't get you to the, the hydrogen leaking, but right. that to me is a, is a perfectly reasonable explanation for the spark, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. And, and also don't forget that over the Atlantic, the Hindenburg encountered a storm. Right. So it's quite possible that, following what Jason was saying, that something broke loose. Even like a screw or something mm-hmm. from, broke loose from from it and and punctured the the balloon even, without them knowing. Even a small enough leak would you know would have uh, ignited all of that. Yeah, because you know hydrogen isn't like gasoline. You know, ga- gasoline you require. A bit more than just a spark. You need you need a flame. Hydrogen, the slightest spark is going to set it off. Well, also with gasoline, you need a flash point. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the flash point is on hydrogen, but I would think that it would be lower temperature than gasoline. Much lower. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and also, you think about the size of the... Hindenburg and the amount of hydrogen in the Hindenburg. That's a lot of hydrogen. Um, so, yeah, by the way, I wrote all of that before I got to uh, Eckner's explanation where he talks about there possibly being a leak in one of the bags and something breaking loose and sparking or, you know, static electricity sparking the hydrogen. So I swear I wrote mine down first before I, before I saw it. Um, and then they talk about St. Elmo's fire. Uh, cue the music. Um, sorry. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> he just wants to be a man in motion. That's all. Yes. Um, um. 
Well, they said that that's not powerful enough to ignite hydrogen gas. And my question is, how about a spark from metal on metal in the framework of the airship? That's plenty enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, the German the German pilot believed that the ship was sabotaged. Um, he he remembered a now this okay this is in 1957 so this is like 20 years later. Uh, he he remembered a particular passenger who made excuses to be in the tail of the ship. Uh, the the pilot thought he was planting a bomb. Uh, my news flash is. The whole ship was a bomb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so there was actually a movie in 1975 called The Hindenburg, which which oh, okay. was about the um, sabotage. Oh, okay. It, it, it followed that sabotage um, uh, idea, oh, okay. uh, directed by Robert Wise, hmm. which which featured Robert Clary hmm. from Hogan's Heroes, uh-huh. LeBeau from Hogan's Heroes. Who was in Buchenwald concentration camp as a Jew? Okay. So he has a number tattooed on his arm. Oh wow. Um, Well, I'm coming down to the last clip. The Hindenburg crash sounded the death knell for giant passenger airships. Today, however, there is no longer the risk of fire that threatened the hydrogen-filled dirigibles. Helium is easily available. Perhaps commercial lighter-than-air service has a future after all. Goodyear Public Relations spokesman Ron Bell. With uh, the fuel efficiency of the airship and the energy considerations of today and our modern technology and 50 years of experience in airship manufacturing, we're going to be able to build a far superior airship to what they had in the days of the Hindenburg. We have two airships currently uh, that we have designed. One of them is the heavy lifter, 450 feet long and capable of carrying 75 tons of cargo. The other airship is the coastal patrol airship and it's 320 feet long and able to patrol uh, international as well as domestic borders. Uh, They have a very real feasibility. They're far more economical than aircraft and uh, faster than ships for cargo transportation. In Europe and America, a number of companies are designing and testing a new generation of lighter-than-air craft. Perhaps the airship business is about to take up where the Hindenburg left off. That it did, folks. That... Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, Okay. Yes, the the tragedy of the Hindenburg led to football games being covered from the air. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Even if they're in a dome... Yeah. <laughs> Even if they're not in a dome, I mean, how much do you see from a uh, fr- from a blimp? Well, I think that they do still use them to um, cover the uh, so- the southern border, mm-hmm. um, like in the Caribbean Sea and, and things right. like that. I, I think they still do use them for surveillance purposes, but much much smaller. Uh, my final note is, and yes, the airship business is now the primary way we get from place to place. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> by the way, uh, the MRI, the the patent, the bleh, the patent was granted in 1973 for the MRI, and the first one was built in 1977. So that would also spell the death knell of the airship business. Like, as big business, because 
as I said earlier, liquid helium. Uh, why not use liquid nitrogen? Because liquid nitrogen is too warm. But that that would be a big a big factor. But you can freeze a banana in a second. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, anyone have any final thoughts? Um, nope. Just that, just that. If you look on the internet, you can see pictures of the Hindenburg over Halifax. Oh, oh yeah, you showed us those. Yeah, because 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 when it came over, it, it it hit North America and Newfoundland, and then mm-hmm. followed the coast down, and so so it flew directly over Halifax. Cool. Oliver, anything to add? Uh, no, I can't really compete with uh, Hindenburgs over Halifax. How about over Toronto? How about over uh, Guelph? There we go. Uh, oh, no, yeah. no, that wouldn't have that wouldn't have been on the flight plan. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Oliver, tell people where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at Oliver Oxide. Steven. I am also on Twitter at Doc Pinko. And you can find me at Alien CG, and you can find this podcast at Illuminati Pod. Ladies and gentlemen, I confess. I am the Hindenburg. <laughs> so I, I, I've been running that joke into the ground all season, haven't I? Uh, have a good week, everyone. Toodles, kids. See ya.